0: You guys are a special people. You are the the ones that will go through snow, through rain, through crowds, through people to come worship the Lord. You guys are inspiring. You guys remind me of of uh, the good old home days in Latin America and Africa where people walk 20, 30 miles to get to church and they're, and they're happy to be there. Nothing can keep us from worshiping the Lord. I am so glad you are here. But I'm going to need your help on today's sermon. I'm going to need your help because the preacher has prepared a message that I have received from the Word, but the Holy Spirit comes by prayer. So I want you, you know, in the service, people get distracted, the pastor might put someone to sleep, you know, anything could happen during the service, so I need your prayers to make this message irrelevant to someone here. So why don't you, why don't you tap someone in front of you, yeah, right in front of you, and tell them, I'll be praying for you during the sermon. Why don't you do that? This tap someone in front of you and say, I'm going to be praying for you during the sermon, Okay. And I believe you're going to receive something from the message, okay? So yeah, tell them, hey, if you fall asleep, I'm going to pray for you, all right? Today's uh, message is called Reviving a Dead Spiritual Life. Reviving a Dead Spiritual Life. My wife uh, comes from the beautiful state of California, such as I am as well. But she lives next to that grand national park called Yellowstone. How many of you have been to Yellowstone National Park? A beautiful, beautiful park with great valleys and great rocks. But one thing that they discovered many years ago were these caverns, these deep caverns that you could explore in the mountains of Yellowstone. And the way they discovered it was when one day a gentleman, one of the early pioneers, was walking through the mountains. When he fell into a cave hole and he slid down hundreds of feet to this dark cave. Now can you imagine you're going for a nice nature walk and all of a sudden you step into that pit. You step into that hole. You slide down hundreds of feet and you find yourself in almost total darkness. For one week he was there without food without water, without almost no light screaming, Someone help! Till by the mercy of God, someone was walking by. And they heard his voice, and they rescued him, and they wanted to know, how did you persevere? How did you survive? And his answer was, that amidst the despair and hopelessness, He saw one little ray of light. And whenever he felt like giving up, whenever he felt like despairing to defeat, he would stare at that little ray of light piercing through the darkness, and that was enough to get him through another hour and the next hour and the next hour. We are living not in a, deep cave of darkness but a deep world of darkness and I know that sometimes there's a helplessness and almost a hopelessness but I do believe that God has his ray of light his ray of light on your finances his ray of light on your health is a of light on your relationships, on your marriage, on your future, on your goals. And so today's message is one of, you might be feeling helpless, but with God there is no hopelessness. And the way we're going to get to that conclusion is by skeletons. By what? Skeletons. By skeletons. Now, skeletons is something that's very hard to explain to my three-year-old daughter. Because we take walks around the neighborhood and, you know, there's that beautiful tree. There's that beautiful garden. You know, when the flowers come up, it's a beautiful walk. But about this time of the year, I don't like to take walks with my daughter around the neighborhood. Because instead of flowers and trees and birds and animals, we start seeing ghosts, goblins, witches, ants. Skeletons. Now, now, when it comes to the witches and the goblins and the monsters, I, you know, I, I don't have to explain it to my daughter because she just thinks those are people with ugly faces, right? They're just ugly-faced people. They're not happy. But then when she says, "Papa, papa, what's that?" And she points to a skeleton. Wow, How do you explain a skeleton to a three-year-old? Uh, You have that inside of you? Where, what what are you talking about? Well, the the truth is, you know, I've never really seen a real skeleton before in my life. I'm a nurse, and I've seen a lot of things. And in fact, I've seen a lot of death, not only in the hospital, but in my own family. I've lost close people to me, my grandma, my great-grandma, and my grandfather. But let me tell you something really honest. When I I am there at their deathbed and they take their last breath, you almost had to convince me in those moments that they were dead. Have you guys had that experience? It's like I almost had to be convinced that they really were not alive anymore. Because there they were you know, a day before, a week before, talking to me, interacting with me. They've always been there. And there they are laying in the bed. They might not be breathing but it's the same mouth that spoke to me, it's the same hands that touch me, it's the same hair that I've seen, the same eyes, there's even still warmth in that body, and you have a hard time convincing me, no, they can be, are they really gone? No, it can't be, but when you see a skeleton, there's no doubt about death, right? And I guess that's why it's so scary and people hang them on their doors during the Halloween season. Because skeletons not only represent death, but skeletons represent total and complete, no returning from death. And skeletons are the ones that are going to give us hope today in Ezekiel chapter 37 because the bible tells us that ezekiel received a vision of skeletons it says the hand of the lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of what's Wow, You know, when you think of visions, it's like, Lord, take me in vision to heaven, take me to this beautiful place. This man, this prophet was taken to a a, a big valley, and the valley was full of bones. Not full of dead people, but full of bones, which represent total, complete, and exhaustive, not coming back from death. And the Bible tells us that not only did he set them down in the midst of the valley, but it says that he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very what? They were very dry. So Ezekiel's taken off to vision. He's made it to to walk in this really what we could call the death valley. And, he, and he's told to walk closely and look. And when he's examining the bones, he's seeing that they're not only bones, but they're dry bones. Very dry bones. There is lack of any sort of life in these bones. Now, the question arises, where did all these thousands of dead people come from? Where, whose bones are they anyway? Is the question That I would like to know. But when you're reading the book of Ezekiel, before you get to chapter 37, to understand whose bones those are, you need to take a step back and see what is happening during the time of the prophet Ezekiel. You see, the prophet Ezekiel is going through a time of transition and change in the nation of Israel, and it's not good change, it's bad change. For example, in Ezekiel chapter 8, we learn that God takes Ezekiel to envision to the church, to the temple, to the sanctuary. And he's taking him room by room. And he's like, look, in this room, they're worshiping this idol. In this secret chamber, look at all the false gods, I mean, in the sanctuary. And he takes them to the door of the temple and they have their back turned to the temple and are worshiping the sun, so here we learn in the time of Ezekiel that the nation of Israel had completely apostatized from God. Then we get one of the most tragic chapters in the whole Bible, Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10, you got to read it. you got to read it because it's the story of the visible presence of God, the glory of God, leaving the temple. It's it's like a a heartbreaking story there because the, the story is that his glory leaves the holy place and doesn't leave completely and right away, but it leaves and it goes to the temple door. So it's kind of like, can you imagine God where his people have rejected him, his people have apostatized, and he's no longer welcome, and he's walking out, and he stops at the temple door, he looks back, He waits for a moment. No one's calling him back. Then the Bible says that his glory went to the the city gates. He stopped at the city gates. He looked back again. No one's missing him. No one's calling for him. Then the Bible says that finally he stops at the Mount of Olives, the glory of God, looking back on Jerusalem, and still, it's almost like he doesn't want to go, but he's been thrown out of his own House, Have you experienced that? I hope with God it never happens where you have thrown him out of your life. He doesn't leave right away. He leaves slowly. He says, don't throw me out. I want to be part of your life. Step by step, he's always reaching back. So the nation of Israel had apostatized. Ezekiel 10 tells us that the Lord had left the temple. And Ezekiel chapter 24 is the chapter where when God's presence and protection has left Israel, then comes the enemy and surrounds Jerusalem. Babylon surrounds Jerusalem. And you will know that when the presence of God is not in your life, friends, then you will find enemies begin to surround you and looking to defeat you. And right before the destruction of Jerusalem, right before they they tear down the walls, burn the temple, and kill hundreds of thousands of Jews and take tens of thousands of prisoners and, and distribute them all over the Babylonian kingdom, there is this last final message in Ezekiel chapter 33. It's a beautiful message. It says in verse 11, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the, of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Can you, can you just feel the pathos, the emotion behind that statement? It's just like his people have rejected him. His people have turned away from him. These people are about to get destroyed. And he says, why? Why turn from your evil way even now with the enemy at your gates? I'm willing to come back. I'm willing to forgive you. But did they turn back? Yes or no? The Bible tells us they didn't. And destruction came and it was complete. They lost their home. They lost their temple. They were taken all over to be slaves in different countries. And now... It seems like the nation of Israel itself has died. And in this context, Ezekiel sees the vision of this valley full of bones that are dead and dry. And in Ezekiel's mind, who are those bones? None other than the nation and the people of Israel. Not only have they physically died, but they have spiritually died. And it seems that they are so dead. It seems that they are so wasted, so far gone, that there is no coming back from what they have done and experienced. This should be the end of the Bible. This should be the end of the story. But as Ezekiel is looking on those dead, dry bones, God asks him a question. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. So who are the bones? The house of Israel with no hope. And this is when this message becomes relevant to our time. Because we are living in the age of lost hope. Wouldn't you agree? People have lost hope in their political system. People have lost hope in other people. People have lost hope in the church. People have lost hope in themselves. Some people have even lost hope in God. We are living in a time of lost hope. And what a better descriptor of a nation and a people of no hope than really dry Bones. But God asked Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Can there still be hope for Israel? Can there still be hope for you? Can you still find hope in that marriage? Can you still find hope in that child? Can you still find hope in your spiritual life that you felt has died 10 years ago? Is there still hope after you committed that sin? Is there still hope in your future? Can there really be hope? Everybody's looking and saying, no, that's a dead, dry bone. Ezekiel doesn't say yes or no those bones can live. Ezekiel just says kind of like I don't know, God, you know, you know, Lord, God, you know, and the answer that God gives, can these bones revive, is a beautiful picture that is found in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 4 to 10, and I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, are you praying for your neighbor by the way, the one in front of you, you poked them all, I don't know if you're praying, Because this message is for them, but they're not going to receive it unless you're praying for them. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 4 to 10 is the answer to can those dry bones live again. Verse 4 of chapter 37 of the book of Ezekiel says this. And again he said to me, prophesy to these bones, he said to them. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, I will bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7. So Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, There was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds of breath and breathe on those slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army." I don't know, I don't understand people who say the Bible's not exciting. I mean, this is an exciting passage just right there. Can you see the picture? Ezekiel begins to prophesy, preach over these dead, dry bones. And as he's preaching, there's a great rattling and the, how's it go? The, The knee bone's connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bone's connected to the, I don't know, somewhere, right? Everything begins to connect. But not only are the bones connected, all of a sudden there's ligaments, all of a sudden there's skin, there's muscle, and all of a sudden these dead, dry bones become bodies. But it's not done yet. Even though their bodies are still laying on the ground, and all of a sudden he prophesies for the breath, the ruach, the spirit to come in them, and all of a sudden they revive back to life and they become a living, mighty army. It's like, if I was was there, I'd be like, yeah, praise the Lord. He could bring life from, from death. He could make a mighty army out of a bunch of old, dusty bones. If you were old, dusty bone, you would have been like, amen. But maybe we don't want to admit that. Maybe we don't want to talk about that. That maybe we have lost hope. Hope in something. Hope in ourselves. Hope in our spiritual life. Hope in the church. Hope in relationships. God's saying to you, even though you couldn't do it, even though you're helpless, doesn't mean that it's hopeless. Because I can bring life from death. The Bible tells us that this was a promise to Israel, that he would bring life back to them, and the promise to them was that they would return as a nation, and he would give them life again as a nation, and he absolutely did. But this message is not only for the nation of Israel. This message is also a promise to you. In the signs of the time, July 26, it says, This figure was presented before the prophet to show him that, catch this, no work of restoration can be too hard for God to do. Wow, that's just, it hits you, right? None who trust in him need ever say, as Israel had said, Our hope is lost. Our hope is lost. God can do a work of restoration anywhere, even where you can imagine it can be done. (laughs) You can't do the work of restoration. God can do the work of restoration. In Italy, you know, they have these famous paintings, and they have paintings that they've actually done in churches or in in, in murals and famous places, and those paintings have been done by artists like hundreds or thousands of years ago. And they're so old that they look really bad. They don't look good anymore. So some of these places are doing a work of restoring the art on the wall. Have you heard of that happening before? And they hire professionals to do it. Well, I heard a story of of people who said that they knew how to do the work of restoration and they, uh, they were hired to do the restoration, and they started to work on a famous painting, and halfway through the job they stopped them because when they looked at the work of restoration, it's like they were turning the work of art into cartoon. They were frauds, they, weren't, they didn't know what they were doing, and they were messing up the work of art. It looked like a cartoon. And they had to bring in professionals to take off what they had done and restore the original art to its place. God has a work of restoration that he only can do. And there's a lot of helpless and almost hopeless people that need a ray of light in their darkness. This past week, I had the opportunity to visit with a lady who told me that in the last three months, she said, I've been, I've been in turn because of depression. I've tried to kill myself. I have three daughters and every day I'm tempted to leave my house and abandon them. I've tried to find love and relationship with men, but all the men, they hurt me. Just like my mother did when I was little and that's why I left home at 12 and got pregnant at 14 and lived on the streets to survive. She says, I just feel like giving up. And I said, praise God that I was preparing this message, because here is a dry bone, and a pastor cannot do anything, but I know someone who has the power to restore hope into her life. And so I said, listen, you might be helpless, but you are not hopeless, because God can make great changes in your life. I have hope. But how does he do that change? I said something very practical to her. I said something very practical to her. I said, listen, the only way God can work restoration in your life is if you allow me to come here at least once a week and open up this powerful book called the Bible and bring your daughters to kneel down and pray and study the Bible as a family together. Because it is the power of God through his word that you will find hope even though you're helpless. You could only have this change through a life giving message that comes from the word of God. How did these bones come back to life? Remember what Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 4 told us? That the message was to the bones O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What was the first step in bringing them revival? What is the first step in bringing you hope and revival? Hear the word of the the Lord. (laughs) Hear the word of the Lord. There was a pastor one day who was in a bookstore, and a gentleman walked in frantically in that bookstore and said, listen, how much would it cost to buy all these bookcases full of books? And the owner was kind of taken aback. He'd never had someone come in and ask for bookcases full of books to buy. And so he asked, what are they for? He said, well, I've been contracted by a a man who's inviting his friends and professionals and colleagues over to his house, and he wants his office to be filled with bookcases and books So that when people come to his house, they'll think he's a learned and smart man and be intimidated by all the books that he has. So I want to buy these books and put them in his office. It reminds me, that story reminds me of the pastor that went to visit the mother in her home And as the pastor was coming, the young mother said to her daughter, Please, honey, go get me that book I love so much, talking about the Bible. And her daughter went to get her the magazines you buy at the store about celebrities. You see, there is lack of revival because there is an abundance of worldliness in our life. We have not filled our dry bones with the Word of God. We filled it with television, with gossip. With politics, we filled it with everything else but the word of God. No wonder that we are so dry. The first step in revival is hear the word of the Lord to the bottom of your bones. Selected messages, book 3, page 177 says... What power must we have from God that icy hearts, having only a legal religion, should see the better things provided for them, Christ and his righteousness? A life-giving message is needed to give life to the dry bones. A life-giving message is needed to give life to the dry bones. Friends, I have good news. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has a life-giving message. The three angels' message, the last message before the great harvest of the world, is a life-giving message. So, what is it that we need? Not something new, not something that God is withholding from us. Sometimes the greatest thing God can do isn't to give us something new, but to remind us of what we already have. You have His Word. You have His Word. And so, if you give God your attention, He'll always exceed your expectations. Give God your attention with the Word of God and He will exceed your expectations as you begin to study His Word, as you begin to eat His Word, as you begin to digest His Word, you'll see that there is a revival in your life. Listen, friends, last time we were studying in our parables of Jesus, the leaven, that the Word of God will only work like leaven in our lives if not only we study it, but we obey it. It's the study and obedience that brings life-transforming power in our life, that brings us from helplessness to a life filled of hope and strength. Are you praying for your neighbor? Are you praying for your neighbor? Are you praying for your neighbor? Because we're coming down to it. We're coming down to the point right here, and it's important. I understand that there is, in all of us, in a sense, a darkness about us. Maybe not a darkness in all our life, but a darkness in something of our life. Maybe that's why you've come to church this very afternoon. Because you have felt that you need hope for tomorrow. You felt that you need help with that situation, with that person. And even though sometimes we don't come to God until it's too late or we're in trouble, God is still here for you. And as God looks upon the dry bones of your life, He's asking you a question. Can life still exist in that marriage, in your financial accounts, in that relationship? Can life still exist in your future? Can there still be life where you need it? What will be your response? What will be your response? Will it be like Ezekiel? Uh, I don't know. You know, Lord. Or will you claim the promise of God that through His word and through His spirits, He will bring revival to your life? So today, we understand that this church and you need revival, and I need revival. When God looks upon his church, the truth is, many times, he sees dry bones. But today, he's saying, to you and to me, if you give me a chance, if you give me your attention, if you listen to my word, I could do a great change in your life. So... Starting 2019, I'm going to remind you if I haven't remind you again. This church is going to begin a journey through the Bible. Amen. Starting January 1. Amen. Not your diet begins that day, but the Word of God begins that day. We're going to begin a journey of going through the Bible together from beginning to end. We are going to read one week together, starting from January 1st, and the sermon that following Sabbath is gonna be based on the reading of the previous week. And the sermon the next week is gonna be based on the reading of that previous week. And I believe if only even 50% of us read the whole Bible this year, there is gonna be a transformation of your personal life and a transformation as a church. Going forward in the year 2019. Amen. So, who wants to take that journey of life? Amen. Oh, someone's been praying for you. Someone has been praying for you. I'll end with this: One day, a father. One day, a father was uh, in the marketplace, and as he was looking at the wares and looking what he could buy, he lost track of his son. And as he lost track of his son, he became desperate. And there were so many people and so many pl- little stores that he couldn't find his son anywhere. And he was desperate to find his son when finally someone told him, don't worry. Everything closes down around 6 p.m. here. The people close down the stores and go home. People who are shopping go home. And you're going to find your son around 6 p.m. And just like she said... That young father saw the store starting to close down, the sun setting, and the people started to go home, and when the place had emptied out, there he found his son sitting at the entrance of a store playing with something he had found. He ran ran at his son, he grabbed him with great joy, I found you, but the attitude of the son was different, almost like if... Nothing had happened. He had expected his son to be fearful, crying, and desperate to find his father. But the son had been just nonchalantly sitting there and said hi to his dad. And the father asked him, why are you not worried? Why are you not afraid? He said, why should I be afraid? Why should I be worried? I know that you're my father and that you would find me because you're looking for me. I have no reason to doubt. God is coming back. We have no reason to doubt. No matter what we're going through, we could sit there in peace. But when our spiritual life is dead, we feel afraid even of his second coming. I don't want that experience to be for you. I want you to have hope now and hope in His second coming. He's coming for you. Be sure of that. And be ready. We need a revival. By God's grace, it begins January 1 in this place. Pray as you've never prayed before. Because this church will either go forward or go to death like the nation of Israel. And it all depends on us accepting the Word and the Spirit. Life is what God is offering, not only eternal, but spiritual life today. And so put your hand over your neighbor in front of you, the one you've been praying for. I wasn't joking. You're supposed to be praying for that person. Put your hand over them. If you can't reach that person, put your hand over someone closer to you. And we're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray for revival for that person at this moment, okay? So put your hand on someone and say, Lord, revive us and revive this person that I'm putting my hand on. Let's take some time of prayer at this moment. Go ahead, pray. Let us pray for each other. Even now, Heavenly Father, I feel your spirit in this place bringing life to us, lifting us by your grace to be one day a mighty army in East Lansing, Lord. We pray for this to become a reality. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.